Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Into the Bytecode. Today I sat down with Philip Wang and Nate Foss, two of the co-founders of Gather. Gather is a video chat platform that puts you and the people you're communicating with in a virtual space and gives you the ability to move around and interact with them based on your locations in that space, just like in real life. It's had a ton of traction over the last year and is being used by millions of people around the world. I think it's one of the coolest products I've personally used in recent memory. Beyond having built a product that's unlocking new behavior, the reason I find Gather interesting is that the team is deeply aligned with the Web3 ethos and philosophy. They plan to build Gather into a progressively open and decentralized system. So in this conversation, we spent a lot of time going deep on what this could actually look like. We talk about how Gather is architects under the hood and how they think about decentralizing the game engine and the tech stack. We talk about identity, how login and the social graphs between different people might work in this world. We talk about business models and we talk about how Philip has been inspired by Ethereum and how he's thinking about where Gather goes from here. We also talk about the metaverse and the path dependence of how this future unfolds. We actually recorded this conversation the day after Facebook announced their new name and vision with Meta. And so we also touched on that. Philip and Nate are two incredibly thoughtful and mission-oriented people. They have a vision for the future, and it was really cool to talk with them about this. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's start with the basics. Could you explain what Gather is to people who aren't familiar with it? Yeah. Uh, so Gather, long story short, is building towards the metaverse. Um, we're starting with this app that's kind of like a cross between Pokemon and Zoom, where it's like you're in this 2D environment, you have this character, uh, and then you see and hear the people near you, right? And so it's a primitive that you often do in real life where you might have you know, multiple people in the same space and walking in and out of conversations. But more than that, like it kind of is just a way for people to get together in all these different contexts. So it's kind of hard to explain without seeing it firsthand, but just to give context, like you know, for example, our whole team, 70 people across 12 countries, like works in this virtual office where everyone will have a desk and you kind of come in, in the morning. And then if you ever need anyone, you just like walk up to them, right? Or you might bump into people in the hallways or you'll see people create event venues where you create like, all the talks and all the sponsor booths and all, all the hallways. Um, and then you'll even see all sorts of other creation of like wedding venues of people getting married and gather. So just to give a picture, it's just a very kind of general purpose, first take on the metaverse, focusing on like, what can you build today? Yeah, I, I really think it's, it's one of these products that the very first time you use it, it's, it definitely gave me personally a sense of this is different. And just seeing these 2D avatars and you can move with your arrow keys across the screen. And we've actually been just like right before our call, I was in a gather space, which is kind Amazing. of cool. So, so we're doing, um, we're doing this sprint until the end of the year with a, with a group of teams that are building early stage Ethereum projects. And I've been kind of grappling with how do you best coordinate you know with a group of 20 people so they can you know come in and like have conversations and get together around you know different topics and and gather just seems more and more the, the more i'm becoming familiar with the tool and the map maker and all of this stuff i'm like oh my god this is this is amazing 
Yeah. I think one thing that's always so awesome is when people kind of come in for the first time and at first they're like, you know, what is this? And then you, they, they first see someone kind of walk up to them. They're like, whoa. And then they get like a serendipitous interaction where, where like they bump into someone in like a hallway. That's when there's like just a ton of joy and they like really get it. So glad, glad y'all are using it too. Yeah. So how does that work with your office? There's dude, do 70 people show up to the gather space and you have kind of private spaces for different people or? Yeah, basically. So like everyone has their own desk and we have all these settings so that, for example, you're, you're kind of like working there all the time. And if you're not looking straight at the tab, it will like mute your own audio and video. But someone can still kind of like walk up to you. You might hear some ambient noise in the morning or someone might just like say good morning. Your desk mate just might say good morning to you. And then we use it for everything you would normally do. Yeah. We call that GM in this world. Exactly. Exactly. It's, <laughs> and you, we kind of do everything you would normally do in a real life office there. So we do all our meetings in there. We have like social rooms in there, like an all hands room. And basically we still use Slack just to give it a sense for like how it gets used. We still use Slack. We use it in the same way that you'd normally do that in a real life office. Right. So you might like message people, but if you want to just like walk up to their desk, you just do that. Or if you want to like play poker, we have tables where you can do that, et cetera. So this is not really exactly one exact use case for it. Yeah. Super cool. So you, you started by saying gather is building towards the metaverse. And mm. I'm curious because I've heard you briefly talk about this before and either of you feel free to jump in here. Like how, how did you come to land on this product as the first step to on this like longer path? Like why this yeah. instantiation of it? Yeah. Actually, maybe I could first start by like talking about what we mean by the metaverse. Because I think increasingly uh, over the past like six months or so, like it's, it's gone to mean anything from like just NFTs generically to these VR worlds and whatnot. And since, since yesterday also, which and we'll, since, we'll, since yesterday, yeah. <laughs> we'll get into as well. Yeah. So what the metaverse means to us is kind of like this virtual layer over the physical world. That's about like how people connect with each other. Uh, and we see people in the future connecting across all these different use cases, things that are kind of like not just a game. For example, our team is actually working out of here, right? Or we've seen people in the past year, like actually go to class in here or interact with their communities or their friends or their family. And the reason to build this is to create this opportunity and connection for people, no matter where they are, right? You know, traditionally you would kind of live 30 minutes from where you work and that determines so much in terms of what family did you have to move away from or which friends do you stay close with or what lifestyle do you have? And, you know, even for some people who can't move in the first place, uh, they wouldn't have these opportunities. So that's kind of really why we're building the metaverse. Kind of how we got here uh, was a long story. Basically, me and one of our other co-founders had been working for a whole year before the pandemic on like the social version of this. Like, how do you stay close to their, you know, close friends and family, uh, no matter where they are. And our conviction had initially came from like VR and we got really excited about it. And that's where the metaverse all started coming together in our heads. I remember I was talking to Nate about this. We found that after like a year of not talking, we both converged on like the metaverse is the next most interesting thing to work on. And I was like, I'm ready to like strap down and work on this for five years, wait for the headsets to get better. And then when the pandemic happened, I was like, oh, there's a version of this that can start being useful today, right? And you can already start solving a lot of the metaverse problems that are, are not just like around VR, but like, how do you interact with these worlds, right? How do you interact with each other? And 
how does this show up in real life? And so that's kind of like where we start with Gather. And obviously, like Nate was a really great person that I wanted to bring in. And then we had another co-founder, Alex, who has also been super instrumental since yeah. then. Nate, how did you get involved? Because you were, you, I, I read that you were working on a decentralized social network project for a long time yeah, before. There was, there were sort of two, two different, like really big projects that I was excited about. One was the social network and one was the metaverse. And the metaverse was a lot bigger and harder. So I was working on the social network, you know, mostly by myself, just like, you know, as over, over the summer and during this, the semester at school. But then when Philip called me up and it was clear that there was like a team forming around the metaverse, that definitely seemed like it was the opportune time to like actually go for it and build it because yeah, the, the team is everything. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember I really had to convince Nate to stop, to like pause his work on the decentralized social network to come join. But also what I also remember is a few, at least a few months before we actually started Gather, where we were kind of like reconnecting, I had some slight inclination, like some slight inklings of I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but like why the metaverse should look more decentralized. I hadn't actually read too much about any like blockchains that I vaguely knew about it, but I had like the intuition that, oh, it should look like a lot more like the web, right? Where you have like Chrome extensions and, and like innovation at every layer of the stack. And then when I talked to Nate, he kind of like sent me his blog post about why decentralized social networks are kind of like really important. And I was like, oh, this person like understands a lot more than I do. Yeah. Yeah. So before we jump into all the decentralization stuff, Philip, you mentioned even before the VR stuff is ready, there's all, there are all these kind of patterns of interaction and design patterns and, and things to figure out. Like, what are some of the things you've had to grapple with? Like some of the unknowns, some of the new territory that you've opened yeah. up and you're like, we don't know what this should look and feel like. And then you've had to think through that. Yeah, totally. I mean, so one of the things that I was always saying kind of once we're, when we were starting with the metaverse or just thinking about in general was like the metaverse, what it's bottlenecked by is like social acceptance, right? And we actually want to have this world that impacts the world all the ways that I say is like, how do you actually create a world that like you can actually work out of, right? And how does that show up in people's lives? What are the exact like uh, value ads that you're going to do? Then you go beyond that, right? Let's say like, you walk out of our office and it goes to the broader city, right? And maybe there's Ethereum's office in there. We have a lot of crypto startups who have offices. And what if you put them all together in this town, right? And that's a community space. It's kind of like the, the virtual Silicon Valley, except, you know, in the metaverse, if you will. And then there's all sorts of questions there in terms of like, how do people decide, right? Like whose office goes where, right? What are the access controls? Who determines, you know, what the policies are going to be? So there's all of these sorts of questions. And then even beyond that, there's a whole other layer on like, maybe what are the, the side layers of the metaverse in terms of identity, in terms of mm -hmm. like, oh, I want to know if one of my other friends is kind of like around in the metaverse and open for me to kind of drop by. Like, and then there's a whole other thing on like creation and, and like how that works. So to us, kind of like metaverse never meant exactly like VR immersive worlds. It more meant how do people interact with each other and these spaces they create. And that is something that you can already start defining without VR. I'm curious. So yeah, you talk about leaving the gather office and walking into the city and there's metaverse, I guess, is such a broad word and more and more it's, it's being taken for different visions of the future. I'm curious, yeah. 
if you fast forward, you know, five years or 10 years into the future, what kind of a yeah. world are we living in? And how do the physical and the virtual melt together in that world? Mm. Yeah. So I guess the first thing to remember is that the, it, it's hard to exactly understand the timescales <laughs> at which this works at. You know, like Gather totally. has actually only existed for like a year and a half. And it's been a crazy wild ride. But generally, I think to the question of like physical versus virtual, our belief is also that people generally think of like the real world versus, you know, the metaverse. And I think that's the wrong framing. It's more like the metaverse will integrate very closely with the physical world and they shouldn't be thought of as separate. And I think there's even some design choices already made today where it's like there have been virtual worlds in the past, you know, like, like Second Life or some of these like games that I actually grew up on playing that where the point was kind of that you had a separate identity. And here it's not really, right? Like our office, everyone's kind of showing up as themselves, specifically kind of like, I am here to work in this context. And so that's like one way that it shows up. I think in the future, we really want to see a world where it's not as if like everyone is all interacting only through the metaverse, right? It's like for the people that I can see in person, maybe socially, I'll do that. But for the people where that's not an option, that's what the metaverse is for. And hopefully, eventually, you can actually get the two to blend, right? Like we hang out in real life, people who can't be there physically, like beam in through the metaverse and same across like all the use cases as well. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think we're getting an inkling of this in the crypto world too, with the social interactions that open up, you know, when you're a community rallying around the particular NFT, like however... Uh, frivolous that might be mm. it's just bringing together a whole bunch of people who are having fun who are connecting like who are all under their different pseudonyms and it's something that you couldn't you couldn't recreate the same thing in the real world or it's an addition to what's possible in the real world it's opening up like new space of possibilities right right it's so interesting how community is so key to crypto yeah and I think that's why Gather has resonated a, a decent amount in the crypto communities because it's like, this is kind of like the, the media yeah. that, that's easier for them too. Yeah, I'm curious, like what, how are people in the crypto world using Gather? Have people discovered it? It feels, it still feels like I've seen people talk about it, but it still feels a bit under the radar. Yeah, I, I honestly feel like, uh, and we'll talk about this more when Nate, some of the steps that Nate is working on with opening up, making the world's fully programmable and everything you'll see like, a next layer of, of kind of oh, use cases. Today, what it looks like is there's a lot of crypto companies who use it as their office. Sometimes they'll use it for like events that they're hosting. Uh, and then some of the more like interesting, but the kind of like newer use cases, like for example, there's a, one of the public spaces is called like Crypto Arcade. Oh yeah, I went in there this morning. Cool, yeah, yeah. So they put a bunch of NFTs around there and like there's people from the community just using it as a space to hang out and they have like arcade games in there as well. There's some other ones like crypto communities in like Southeast Asia who also have similar spaces. And it's just, again, a, a community space. Right. Yeah. So, so far, I mean, a bunch of people have just been using it like for what Gather is good for. Like nothing crypto specific. It's just like, oh, you need, you need a place to like meet up with some people and like, you know, have higher fidelity, you know, person to person interactions than just like over text or Twitter or whatever else. Right. But there are a couple of teams that, we've been we've been working with as we like open up the api and make gather more programmable that are working on on things that are like really actually more crypto native so not just you know gating a space based on like DAO membership or something like that 
uh, like, you know, controlling access to a gather space, you know, based on some crypto primitives, but even stuff like controlling what your outfit can be and gather based on whether you own like what loot and stuff like that. And so like, yeah, so this is, this is all, this is all in the works. And like the coolest part about this is that we're not even building it, right? Like we're, we're deliberately enabling this kind of stuff, but by just like trying to open up the, the gather system more and more, other people have shown tons of willingness to like build all of this cool stuff on top of it. And like, we're, we're really happy to, yeah. uh, to be enabled. Well, I know you guys are thinking about things in a decentralized way. So I'm curious, like how, yeah, how is all of this architected under the hood? Like when you're making gather programmable, what's actually happening um, under the hood there? This is like one of the reasons why I was, I was really, really, really trying to get nailed. Like we need someone who understands decentralization because this is going to be important for the metaverse. And I remember in the beginning, we had a ton of conversations around like, do we start decentralized or like, how do we make sure that we can get there? So again, we really believe it is really important in terms of like, how do people probably innovate on it? How do you get the best version where there isn't one person who owns too much of it, but rather like the whole thing evolves at like on its own. But our philosophy has kind of been like, we start centralized in, in many ways because we're not yet sure on like the abstractions yet. Uh, and then like progressively, as we become more sure of it, it becomes decentralized and they can go more into like how that actually looks like. Yeah, totally. So like the, the first, the first sort of system to open up and one that's like, I think we've, you know, we've, we found the correct sort of structure for is the backend and like the, uh, sort of game logic, making the game logic programmable. So like concretely how you would interact with the gather API right now is there's a, there's an SDK you connect to like the game, the game server over, uh, over web sockets and you can like subscribe to all of the, the game events and send actions back. I mean, you have to be an owner uh, of the space. It, it can't just be anyone changing the map data, but basically you get the whole, the whole flood of like everything that happens in game, you can react to in whatever way you want, you know, just write whatever code you want and send basically arbitrary state changes back. So, you know, you can have something like if like this person tries to like walk into this other room, but you know, they don't have any loot or they haven't like, you know, linked their Ethereum address or something yet. Then you like teleport them back to the lobby, you know, until they, until they have some loot. And then you can like also put them in an outfit corresponding to their loot and stuff like that. And this is like all programmable, right? We don't, we don't have to enable any specific thing. We just sort of like open up this API to say, here are all of the like game events that you can listen to. And here are all the like different things that, that you can do in response to that. And people could just run you know, arbitrary code on their side and, and controlled that way. And that this is just the first step, right? Like, so obviously, you know, letting people do arbitrary stuff server side and like change around the map data and, and stuff like that is like an important component that that's like, you know, only a small fraction of it, right? Like future step is, you know, we want people to be able to like control the UI more, not just sort of what the map looks like and, you know, what outfits people are wearing or whatever their status is or something like that but even the interface itself and like make sort of more complex interactions with the space and interactions with each other. One thing that like Philip has wanted forever is like to be able to implement Pokemon and gather and have like cut scenes where you're like battling Pokemon with each other and stuff like that. And so like, this is, you know, the next, the next phase of, mm. uh, of where we open up and yeah, the plan is kind of to just, as we figure out what the sort of correct abstractions are and like how these systems should approximately be separated 
we'll just like separate them out one at a time, let other people swap in whatever they want. If they don't want to use our like, you know, default logic or default UI or whatever else. And eventually we, we end up with a system where like, we're a good option for your metaverse browser or your metaverse UI or your metaverse hosting or whatever, but you're not like tied together in any way. And like, if someone invents a new thing, that's better than what we do, then it'll replace us. And like, Super that's correct. I think I, I, some, some other examples of like different layers of the stack, we're basically like trying to do this at every layer of the stack. One is like even our map creation tools. Uh -huh. The ones that we use ourselves are all open to people, but also the API that people use is open. And so we've actually seen people create their own versions of our map maker. Like some of the businesses oh, no way. on top of gather. Yeah. The, alternative like, map makers. Yeah. They're, they're like specialized for their use case right now, but it's like, for example, there's a conference management company that has gone like started on gather. Right. And they do very specific things when it comes down to like setting up posters in a conference room correctly, or like doing all those like other macros stuff. And, or scripts that they run. Exactly. Yeah. And so like, they have like, if you, you just give me 150 posters and I'll figure out how to set them all right, how to put your talks in the right place. And that's like exactly what we want to see. Another thing we've done like internally is like, we have many different use cases and I think the right long-term organization here, like there are different websites on the metaverse, right? And mm -hmm. so what we've done internally is kind of like our remote work use case is one of the big ones. Events is another big use case. They're actually separate in code and it forces the underlying platform beneath all of it to like build in the right way so that in the future, there could be like a third party use case, like education. Someone else builds that in the same way our current like remote work team builds all like the features specific for remote work. How, how are these use cases different in terms of how they're using the platform? Is it not the same objects and the same game logic at play? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of the same underlying core components, but they, the reason that we split in the first place is because we were, we found that they were like differing in pretty interesting ways. And so like one like really core way in which remote work is different from events, is just like a lot of remote work is, is actually passive presence. And so like thinking about something as basic as just who you're connected to and how like loud they are and how close they are and stuff like that. This is like, you want a totally different system when you're just sort of sitting around in your office and like, maybe you want some like ambient background conversation to be audible so that, you know, you can walk over to someone's desk if they're talking about something that you're interested in, or you can just like ignore people and, you know, stay focused. Whereas events, like it's so, so important to have like natural flow between different conversations where like, I mean, Zoom breakout rooms are like, you know, one extreme, right? Where you like are all the way into one conversation only or all the way into another conversation only. And so, you know, one of the things that, that we've been thinking about and that the events team now probably thinks a lot about is like how you, you blend that more naturally. So like in real life, you could have the, a much more flowing thing where, you know, some conversations like maybe like you know, a little boring or is going off track or something. And then you hear something from the other side of the room or somebody's talking about Ethereum <laughs> and you're like, oh, like maybe yeah. I'll go over there. Yeah. And you can just sort of like migrate between bubbles more naturally. And it's not just this like all in or all out kind of thing. Yeah. Um, what? That's like way more important, right? For like social and synchronous things than like work where you're like deliberately talking to someone in a meeting or you're like not. Or it's yeah. One of the things like that. that I like, one of the moments where I was like, whoa, I, I had another moment of realization when it came to Gather was when I 
saw how you could have tables and like the conversation is scoped to the people who are sitting around the table together, even if they're in the same space. And that just allows you to move in and out in a much more seamless way. But then there's, there's a whole other layer of complexity that you have in the real world, which is you could be sitting at a dinner table with six people and you could literally choose to focus your attention on this conversation or on that conversation. And it happens. Right. And we take these sorts of things for mm -hmm. granted, but like yeah. to recreate that in the virtual world uh, seems incredibly complicated. Yeah. And as you kind of like philosophically to this point, this is kind of the right way to figure out where the boundary lies between like platform and like website, I guess, where it's like, we've architected it so that, you know, there's these different use cases with all these different needs, like, and different, you know, as Nate mentioned, like different considerations. And over time, as these people develop, they'll start to learn like, oh, actually, we need this parts to be able to be differentiated between use cases. Right. Yeah. And so like, we don't, I think the answer to your question was like, we don't know exactly how they're going to be different but this is how we figure out you give them that extra degree of freedom and see how they differ from each other yeah and it, it makes sense it's like they have slightly different like physics like rules of the exactly. game like how your voice carries or something is different going back to this question around the architecture so to make sure i understand there's there's this game engine that's progressing. It's kind of keeping the physics of this virtual world together. People can walk around, their voice carries, their videos like open and close. And this stream of events is opened up to a developer through like a WebSocket API. And you can subscribe to that. And, and level one right now is that you can kind of have these callbacks that change things on the map, right? Like, or, or they they... You can run any server-side code that you want on your side. So you could check if this user, you know, if their ETH address holds a particular NFT or like something like that. And then you could use that to allow them to enter a room or not, or to make their character transform in a certain way. Yeah, totally. And you can you could do just, just as much to the maps and stuff like that. So, you know, you could have a, a dungeon where like, when everybody has like walked into the next stage, there's like some rocks fall behind you and like close off the doorway or something. And you have to like keep going and exploring this dungeon or whatever else. Right. Or like, you know, something more, more remote worky would be like, we could have something where when our fans is about to start every day, we could like put confetti around the map or something and be like, you know, and even play a sound, right? Like, you know, it's all hands time, whatever, or something like that. Uh, yeah. You could have, yeah, it's, it's really That's so cool. Limited. So how, so I guess if I'm taking like the fully decentralized lens on this, right, it would be, where is the game engine living, right? And the fully decentralized version of it would be that the game engine is hosted on some decentralized network, right? And that's what ultimately structurally allows anyone to permissionlessly write to it and you know not allow a platform to gate people in and out so how well that's obviously like a very complicated right. thing right like i like if you're thinking about this decentralized yeah. over time type of uh progression like how do you think about that is that the right way to think about it yeah so there there are a couple of ways that, that you could like fully decentralize the sort of backend game engine 
in the limit, obvious, like it should just definitely be possible to have a totally peer-to-peer system, right? Like we shouldn't bake into the system that there must be a game server or something like that, right? Like there should be some way to run client-side code. So like, like I love that IPFS has a JavaScript implementation, right? So you can just like have no backend at all and stuff like that, right? This is great. And so that should be possible. At the same time, we actually started out peer-to-peer -peer for video, not for the game state itself, but for video. And peer-to-peer, like doesn't scale very well in a lot of cases. And so there needs to be like some other way to, to have like a really like low latency, high throughput kind of system. And, and actually like having a central server where each person has a single connection to this one server and it just sort of synchronizes everything really fast. It's going to be hard to beat that peer to peer, but you can still do this in a decentralized way where like if the server is untrusted. And maybe like has to attach proofs that like the state update that it's doing is legal totally. then it's totally fine. Right. And if the server is like swappable, right? Like if the server's, you know, there's nothing special about it. It's just sort of doing the job for you. Um, but you could swap it out with another one if it starts to misbehave or something like that, or if it like fails one of the validations, then that's like pretty decentralized. Right. And, and this is like probably the best of both worlds where like you can have, you know, in, in the good case where someone's behaving, you just get the super fast benefits of like some centralized server, but you don't have to trust them. You just verify that what they're doing is, you know, correct. And then in the bad case where they're misbehaving, you can swap them out and, you know, then the, the network pauses or the, the space pauses for like a half second while, you know, you switch to a yeah. different host. Yeah. I, it's not feasible to run a game engine. That's like having ticks updated, like hundreds of times a second on right. like some sort of a super decentralized blockchain but i guess what i'm taking away from what you're saying is like there are systems like crypto in general is not going to work in that way in the future too right you can't have billions of users interacting mm -hmm. with websites all on a decentralized network like ethereum like most of the interactions are going to move to like layer twos where uh you know the the operator is posting proofs that they did the work correctly and all of the users have a baked in right yeah. to exit and this like it game theoretically keeps the system safe and sound and like it allows for other parties to spin up. Um, but ultimately like it is a, it is like a server or multiple servers that are processing the transactions. Yeah, for sure. And like, this is, this is already kind of the architect, like almost the architecture that we're in, right? Like, it's the case that the gather, the core gather game engine sort of enforces the like physics of the game and enforces that, you know, only editors are allowed to change the map data and like permissions like that, but you're just trusting us. Like tons and tons of people could be writing these like gather mods, like the third party logic that, you know, do all kinds of wacky stuff and you don't have to trust them, right? Like you can enter any space and you know that, and, and you can have any, you know, sort of extension to your space like that you add on that some other person's untrusted code or whatever and you know that because like it's the gather core engine that's enforcing it like you know only editors can edit the map still you can imagine a world in which now with every every game event like the server attaches a proof that it did it honestly you know this would be kind of expensive to verify on the client side so you maybe want to do some sort of like compression or roll up or something but, you know, the server could just attach proofs to things that say like, oh yeah, the person who like did this action right. is indeed an editor. Yeah. You know, here's, here's a witness. And then you don't even trust our servers. Right. And that's like, yeah, 
Yeah, that's I think cool. what I was, Philip, when like you and I got to hang out, you know, in Seattle, like one thing I was really surprised by was how seriously you were taking these sorts of ideas, right? Like you were, you are thinking about Gather as an eventually like decentralized type project. And like, I mean, just the stuff we're talking about, is, is this the direction you see the project going in? Yeah. So I guess just to give some context on like where we came from at all, like there was actually never any real intention to build a company when we started out. All we wanted to do was build this idea of the metaverse. And in fact, we had some reasons to believe it should not be a company, right? Like the closest analogy we had to the metaverse was the internet, which kind of like had, we got lucky that it started with all these like open protocols and all these people kind of like building it just for the goodness of their hearts. And like it explicitly was not one company, it was a bunch of like, volunteers and kind of the, the government funded a lot of the research. And so in the beginning, we were just kind of like, well, we want to push for the metaverse the best we can. Like maybe this should actually be like a nonprofit or like an open source collective. And that's kind of like where we started. And I think over time, what we realized like was like, okay, actually we need a lot of resources to build this. And the part that we're missing today is not like the lowest layers and like the protocols, but rather kind of like the, the higher level of the stack, like what will actually, people actually use first mm -hmm. um but then you know like our intentions still remain the same we just want to build kind of like the best metaverse to us that means like definitely many aspects of decentralization many aspects of like other people being able to innovate and less like platform lock-in or like less kind of like closed protocols that other people can't really have any say in so yeah definitely over time this is definitely the vision we want to push this forward the way that i think our approach kind of looks like higher level is like again we are focusing on like the higher and the middle layers of the stack where high is kind of like, what are the websites people will use if we're using the internet analogy, right? And the middle layer is kind of like, you know, what are these game server abstractions? What are these map creator tools? What do they all look like? And then really looking at like, what is the lowest layer? So that's actually why, you know, for example, Gather has been trying to like figure out how they can contribute to some of the people in the ecosystem. Some of the dark forest people that you've talked to before, like for example, we've like contributed to the most recent like research organization they created. Because yeah. really, like, some Zero of that X stuff Park. is going to be necessary. Yeah, Zero X Park. Some of that stuff is going to be really relevant for, like, the, the lower, lowest levels, which are, like, middle layers built on top of for us to build the best thing here. So it's still to be seen, like, which layers of the stack we end up focusing on more over time. Right now, we're kind of doing, like, all layers of the stack except for the lower, like, the lowest levels. And I guess we'll see. It's really, like, what is needed from us. Like... Our, our best case scenario is that more people come in and like are building websites on top of the garden and we focus on the middle or maybe they come and build the middle and we focus more on the top. Like it's really just like, how can we push this forward the best? Yeah, that makes sense. Like you've gone a full stack system off the ground that has a really solid amount of usage and product market fit and you're yeah. kind of exploring and iterating on all of these layers, right? Both at the user layer where you see like what sorts of things people want from the metaverse and what this thing needs to like look and feel like to the yeah. developer layer to like how it's actually architected and like where the data is stored, where the game engine is running, like all of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I do think this is actually kind of philosophically one of like the right way to build the lower levels too. It's like you kind of want the lower level of the platform to be informed by like the use cases and you kind of want to like trickle down the whole way. And so that's why it's actually kind of nice that we have these, these, all these users using it today. And then hopefully we can get different builders building on top of here 
that will like inform us in different ways. Totally. Yeah. That's a really powerful feedback loop to have going to be both the users and then use that to inform what the platform underneath looks like. Yeah. So how, I guess one of the things we touched on was I'm curious, like, what are the big puzzle pieces here? So the infrastructure and how it's architected is one. Then there's like identity we talked about, like how, how do you think about that? What does that mean? Identity is, is always the trickiest thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, like with everything, very unclear what the end state is. We can hypothesize that like, you know, for example, some things that will be useful is if you could say, you know, prove that you're over 21 to get into a bar without revealing your birthday, that kind of thing, right? Like the classics, your knowledge proof kind of, kind of stuff and like prove that you, you know, have access to a space without revealing your identity or something like that, right? Like this kind of thing seems like the kind of thing that should be possible and requires sort of like a powerful kind of identity that, you know, you can use with your knowledge proofs and stuff like that. At the same time, like people just like have lots of different identities in different systems uh, and stuff like that. And like probably whatever we choose is not going to be, you know, totally sufficient for everything. So another way you can like log in with X where like X can be any number of things is like probably approximately correct because like different identity systems are better for, for different things and different use cases you know, consistency across different, uh, different spaces or like experiences and stuff like that. And like, you know, how much of your like avatar and items and everything like translate between all of these different spaces is like super inherently tied to identity, but also to like how much cohesion we even expect in like the rest of the ecosystem, right? Like you want it to be the case that people can experiment with different game engines that, you know, the trade-off for that is like, Maybe this pickaxe that I got in this other space doesn't like have an equivalent rendering in some other game engine world. So like balancing the like cohesion and expressiveness and sort of how much you can change seems like that's going to be a, a delicate yeah. balance. I, I think um, the identity piece like is, is one of the things that it seems more clear that it shouldn't be a part of gather, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's like you, you really want it to exist outside of Gather and what exactly is in there hopefully will be determined by the ecosystem as time goes on in terms of like what do people actually want? Do they actually want their goods attached to it? Do they want their access controls? Do they want like their, like what, you know, all these hey. things a part of it? And I think it's like what we're kind of waiting for. I mean, we're, we're, I think the way our approach is basically like we're going to have a Gather identity system. We want to make it easy to over like another kind of like third party identity system in the ecosystem comes about, we can like migrate to that. People can, can like kind of like port over to that. And then hopefully it's not just us deciding like what identity looks like. And I think this is ge generally like our ethos around developing all of this stuff is like, we're building our versions today because like there isn't a version otherwise, but then hopefully other people come in and help define what this looks like. And there's other like yeah. alternatives they can use, not just like, you know, gather Chrome. There's also like gather Internet Explorer, gather with different browsers, basically. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Identity is a particularly big one. I, I totally agree with you because, yeah, it comes bundled with ownership, like over everything, like everything other person owns, like ownership over their own data, potentially 
the social graph, right? The relationships yeah. between the different identities is probably mm-hmm. kept within this like external or like decentralized identity system. So that's a really important one. Yeah. I think it is important for it to be the identity yeah. and the social graph to be unified in a very meaningful way though, because that's uh, kind of when you're thinking about the metaverse, like the unit is like people showing up and you don't want it to feel stratified across metaverses, right? So like if I'm kind of like in a gather version uh, if a gather client of the metaverse and there's like another client of the metaverse that someone else is in you kind of want to be able to like text each other or communicate or do like a phone call so that like they could send over a link whatever that may mean and like teleport to where you are right totally i'm sure you're kind of tracking how identity in the crypto or in the ethereum world specifically is evolving but it's been a kind of interesting um, second order effect of, you know, we all have wallets that we log into these websites with and our addresses are gradually becoming our identities, right? Where you, mm-hmm. I mean, even what, what we were talking about early on, where if there's this external, you know, developer server running that checks if you have a particular NFT and lets you enter this room, that like that room would be all of the people who own that particular NFT. So that that is like the identity and the social graph being imported from this external system. Right. I think another interesting point that people don't think about as much is that like there's definitely also multiple social graphs, even in the world where all these social graphs are decentralized. Like there actually are just like, like the LinkedIn social graph is just a completely different social graph <laughs> than your Facebook one which is really different than, I don't know. I don't know what people are using nowadays. And you don't necessarily want them to actually be connected with each other, right? Yeah. You want, and that's actually, it's something, it's a cool area of work. I mean, talking about zero knowledge proofs and whatnot of linking identities to each other or, you know, in zero knowledge ways, like pseudonymity at a, Mm -hmm. at a core protocol level. You know, I know that it's, this message came from one of these hundred people like mm-hmm. that, that it for sure came from one of these people, but I don't know which one it did. And, right. and that just opens up a whole world of interesting stuff. Right. And, and of course you like, you want to make sure that all these things are like are private enough to, you don't want to just like everyone to know at all your connections and every, all, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, like there's a lot of exciting developments in the ecosystem that we're like keeping track of and trying to figure yeah. out how we can push it forward. So one, um, to pivot a little bit, one thing I'm curious about is, which I think is a key part of these questions is business model, right? Mm. How, cause that has effects on yeah. what emerges ultimately. So totally. how do you think about that? Yeah. So first off, given that we're at multiple layers of the stack, it's also like you have different business models at each layer. So for example, or what, what it looks like today. And we kind of honestly just slapped on a business model in the very beginning because we didn't, you know, we didn't want to take on VC funding in the beginning. And so like, we just kind of slapped someone on, started making money and we haven't like really changed it yet. And actually it's not too bad. Basically people just pay directly for us for the events product. And most of the social use cases today are free under like, you know, under 25 people in a space at the same time you can just have for free. And we like this because it's like aligned, right? It's just like, People pay for it as much as it gives you value. But over time, I think you need different kinds of monetizations for each layer, right? So like while there continues to be a kind of like a remote work app of the metaverse, 
you know, regular SaaS subscription is probably fine. But once you start thinking about like the platform, then you want that to be aligned in a different way. And there's like multiple things that we've been thinking about here. One could be like a Unity model. So this is like Unity, the game engine. And basically what they say is, it's pretty awesome. They say like, you know, if you're a small developer, Unity is free. Uh, and then if you make like more than 100K in revenue, it costs this much. And if you make more than like, mm -hmm. like a, a million or something in revenue, you pay a higher tier. And I think that's not like pretty aligned where it's like, you know, the make, basically the more money the creators are making, mm -hmm. the more money you make. That's one idea. What we kind of philo philosophically want is like we own some amount of equity in an ecosystem. And so, you know, like I, this is the model that, you know, like Ethereum roughly is where it's like now you're incentivized to just grow the ecosystem generally and you got some amount of like compensation for kind of starting it, which is that what that model represents. But again, there's like so many different kind of business models that can exist. It also could just be like, you know, Cloudflare is kind of like an example of the internet somewhere in the middle of the stack that just pays like normal subscription for people who are, who are like doing a lot of volume. So I think it might look like something like that. It might also look like commerce, right? And so like, there's like many different ways you can yeah. think about it. We still haven't figured it out. Like, right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, the, the model you were describing where you have tiered, you know, based on how much financial success, like a, a user of the platform is having, and then they pay more. That definitely makes sense to me. It's it's one way to describe maybe the the Ethereum model or the crypto model, right? Of that one's a bit more radical, maybe where you like the token model is where you kind of open you you share the ownership of the underlying platform. So you own X percent of it, and you know other people own Y percent of it. But then like the value of the whole thing goes up as other people build on top of it, right? So like you have to bake in some way for growth of the platform translating into value capture by this underlying, you know, ownership structure, which like Ethereum, for example, didn't have for a really long time. Like people mm. don't really talk about this, but it didn't have a strong model for that. But with like, for example, EIP 1559, which got merged in a few months ago. Now, like every Ethereum block results in some oh, amount of ETH being burnt, like taken out of circulation. And so the more usage the platform is getting, the more ETH is being burnt. And when ETH gets burnt, mm. that's good for the ETH price because it's impacting the supply and demand. So that's how globally, like on a global scale, Ethereum, like ETH captures value from the Ethereum, the network being used more. Oh, wait, actually, so, sorry, maybe this is a new question. How did, how did it, it not already have the incentives aligned? Like, doesn't ETH just own a bunch of Ethereum? Was it like people were like minting more or something like that? Or So there, there is the, there is like a key distinction between Ethereum, the network and Ethereum foundation, yeah. like the organization, right? The entity. And the Ethereum Foundation, you know, played a key role in, in creating and like spinning up the Ethereum network, right? Like six years ago or however long it's been. But from that point on, it, it's been one entity amongst many that, and the, the kind of goal, the, the strategic through line of the Ethereum Foundation as a goal, as, as, as an organization is 
this thing we call subtraction, yeah, which I, I really want to talk about on this on this podcast at some point, which is that unlike, you know, a, a traditional company that's trying to grow, right? It has a it has a growth primitive baked into it. You want to grow your revenues, you want to grow your headcount, you want to grow your impact. The Ethereum Foundation has a subtraction philosophy, which is it wants to reduce in in size and importance and impact. And, and as long as that reduction is coincident with the network becoming more independent and growing, right? And I think that's been the case to this point, right? Where you like, if you compare the Ethereum of five years ago, it was much, much more dependent on the Ethereum foundation than the Ethereum of today. And if you fast forward five years, that's going to be even more the case. And at some point in the future, you know, the goal, at least in my view, is that we get to something like the internet where there is no organization that that matters, right? And oh, we're, we're close to that even at this point, right? Um, like the EF is funding some key research and public goods and uh, a lot of the ETH2 work and other stuff is being pushed forward by the EF. But so it would have a big detrimental effect on the ecosystem if the EF were to like disappear today. But at some point that like that's becoming less and less the case over time. So I'm actually curious, like, uh... Is there any way that this, like, besides it being a core value that is really strong, I've, I love it and I've, like, gained a lot of inspiration from it. Is there any way that's institutionalized within the organization, yeah. like, the way that's set up? Yeah, I mean, so I don't speak for the Ethereum Foundation anymore, right? I, I don't formally work there. I've transitioned out. But I still keep in close contact with the people, and I was there for some time. And I have a ton of respect for the org and the people there. I mean, maybe one answer that comes to mind is even around questions like hiring, right? Like this, this, this is something that a lot of people ask is how many people work at the Ethereum Foundation? It's a pretty, you know, normal expected question to ask, but the answer to mm. it isn't, isn't super straightforward because the EF, you know, whenever the EF wants to make something happen, the, the model is to try to push it into the ecosystem, right? So it's to find some group that is interested and aligned and capable and like making this happen, or it's somehow aligned with like the vision of the world that they have, and then to empower them to do that. And that's by like giving them grant funding, by, you know, doing all of this stuff. And maybe like Zero X Park is a good example of that, right? Where it's like this group wants to do fundamental, you know, ZKP research and application R&D. And so it's like, great, a, an independent organization doing that is better for the, for the ecosystem. So, you know, a, a organization that wasn't set up in this way might think that, oh, like we want the, the core research to happen in here because we want to like have, like mm -hmm. we want to own the results of it or whatever. In the case of EF and Ethereum, it's like, no, this is actually what we want. We push it out. And that's why like the, the, e, the EF as an org is, is quite thin, right? Not too many work in the EF. And the reason is that a lot of the people focus on giving grants and like mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, I love it, it. It definitely warrants a deep dive at some point. Yeah, I love it because I feel like we have a lot to learn from the Theorem Foundation. It's kind of like the first of its kind that intentionally created an ecosystem like this. Like, I, I, guess, I guess you could also say the open web and the internet kind of was as well, but they had like 
20 years to mature before like a ton of people started using them and there's all these sorts of pressures from different ways. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like your, your question might have been something along the lines of like, how does this also show up? Because I know we've talked about the subtraction value before. And I think like similarly, like success to us would also look like that we don't need to build at every layer of the stack anymore. In fact, like other people are better than us at building certain layers. Because our view of the metaverse is just like, there's so many problems to solve. So like, there's no point in trying to like defend which problems like I particularly can solve. Someone plus solve another problem. Great. Like we'll go work on another one. Yeah. The reason why I asked about like institutionalizing this within the organization is it's not any stronger today than just a value that we repeat that, you know, like collective value is what matters. It's like not about like what we specifically do, but what, what is the metaverse impacting for humanity generally? Right. In the future, I think we could imagine say like the metric would be maybe the metric that people start optimizing is not oriented towards, it would be oriented towards the size of like the economy on top of this, not like which part are we capturing could be one example. And then there's incentives, right? Like right. business models, like ultimately what direction do these types of things lead? Like in the case of the Ethereum foundation, it's a Swiss nonprofit foundation. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's a, that's one big thing right there. And then it holds some ETH from the genesis of Ethereum. And so it wants Ethereum as an ecosystem to grow and flourish, right? Like it doesn't have any interest that isn't aligned with Ethereum, the larger network. So I think that's super powerful. Uh, yeah, actually, I think yeah. one thing that is kind of nice is we have benefited from the larger kind of like Web3 culture becoming larger, I think. Like it's less controversial now to say things like we don't care like how big exactly gathers. We care mostly about how big the metaverse is because like more than right. people, more than more people that like already like on board with that. Totally. And that's actually another interesting point that isn't related to the gather generally, but it's kind of like some thought around culture matters more exactly than the, a bit, a bit more than the right incentives necessarily. And that like incentives are for corralling a bunch of people who might not have the right the, the, the same worldviews together. When everyone also just has the same worldview, you don't need to matter as much about like what the right incentive models are. And so like maybe that's also how it shows up in the Ethereum foundations. Like the culture is just set so correct that the decisions actually reflect that. And, yeah, because yeah. Ethereum's like, it's, it is an ecosystem, right? Yeah. And I think maybe one definition for an ecosystem is that there are multiple distinct cultures, right? Like mm. where they don't even agree necessarily on what this thing is, mm. right? So if like you could go to, you could go talk with five people from different corners of the Ethereum ecosystem, they would just describe totally different things that are attracting them to this, right? Mm. Like someone, you know, a, a musician who's like come in because they like are excited about NFTs and how that can give them control, you know, ability to like make money from their arts in a different way to in the DeFi world, like someone who's just stoked on financial engineering to someone who's, you know, living in a country with high inflation and wants to like escape that. And like, there's just so many different things. Like one analogy I've always liked is the blind men touching the elephant and trying to figure out what mm. it is. And I think maybe that's one descriptor of a 
of a thing that's become truly decentralized mm. or, or, an, or, or a true ecosystem where you can't really describe what it is anymore, mm. right? There are like fundamentally different ways to, to see it. Right, right. Like the same thing know. with the I'm, internet, I'm right? also just yeah. riffing here, so. No, I think it's, I think it's true. Like, like you, you, go, you go back and you watch videos of like Bill Gates trying to describe the internet on like a talk show. And he's trying to describe, oh, you can like kind of beam information however you want. And they're like, well, have you yeah. heard of like, physical mail and like oh no but you can like listen to like a sports game like real time it's like well isn't that just radio it's like there's a really hard like disconnect to exactly describe what it was obviously now we all know what it is right yeah but even then like i think if you ask your generic person who uses the internet they wouldn't be able to describe like exactly what it means yeah there's no way there's no one way to describe the internet yeah i think the metaverse yeah the metaverse is still very early but i feel like eventually it'll end up like that like already you know, for example, whenever we talk about recruiting and sometimes people ask me like, oh, what should the pitch be? And usually I'm just like, well, there's like a, like a thousand different use cases and a thousand different reasons to be excited about the metaverse. So you should just pick the one that you're most excited about and just say that one. Because like, it's also going to work a lot better. People are going to understand that it's like genuine. Totally. Totally. So maybe one, one thing I wanted to talk about was there's a good version of this when we're talking about the metaverse, right? Mm. There's a good version of this future and there's a potentially less good version of it, right? When it comes to decentralization, ownership, like I know you guys are thinking about these sorts of things. Mm. And I wonder, is there a path dependence to how all of this develops from here? Mm. Like, could we end up in different futures or is it pretty clear that it's going to shake out in one way? Yeah, definitely not clear. Me, me and Nate were talking about this for like hours last night about path dependencies. Mm. I think, okay, so when we say dystopian kind of future of the metaverse, I think there's multiple ways people are thinking about it. I can talk about the ones that are like not centralization first. Like, I think a lot of people also think about like, you know, is this a world where I will never see people in person ever again? I'm strapped into a VR headset all day. And I think that one is is really so more so like, again, to to the vision of the metaverse will integrate a lot more with like real life, right? And it's not here to like replace all interaction. That's not the point. The point is to use it for people you can't normally see. I mean, that's actually like a huge improvement over a status quo for like a lot of contexts. I think the other one is like the, the fear of like it being owned too much by any one company, right? And like what you see today with some certain like platforms is that they make policies and they're like not exactly kind of like accountable to anyone, right? It's like, they they might be a platform that has all rule over like three billion people, and none of those people like <laughs> really feel like they had any say. We in, can like... we can name names. It's fine. Oh, where this is this is being recorded the day after the Facebook and Meta talk, right? Oh, like the yeah. announcement. Yeah, I didn't actually mean to like uh, throw shade on Facebook in particular. Actually, like my personal stance, it's really hard for them to have known that much better. Like it's only been 15 years since they like really like started or so. And it's really hard for them to understand like how it would have turned out. Like, you know, all the things that would have happened. That is insane that Facebook started 15, uh, however many years ago, that it's crazy the rate at which these things can grow. Exactly. And now they're at a point where it's hard for them to to make massive changes too. Right. And so I see it more as like, we can learn from what we've seen so far. And yeah, I guess with that, I think it is something important to point out is that like a lot of people are really excited for all what decentralized systems could do, but it's not like a given that they'll win either. I think a great example is like the internet came before phones, 
And yet like phones weren't architected in a way, like apps are kind of very siloed. Um, and so you do have totally. a lot of path dependence. You kind of need to like build a network effect uh, across like a decentralized system so that when it comes time for other players to say Facebook, who maybe owns the whole stack from hardware down to uh, the apps store to the apps themselves, it, it makes more sense for them to be a part of the decentralized system rather than like kind of like build their own siloed thing. For what it's worth actually though, like it seems like a lot of the big messaging that Facebook is trying to say nowadays is that they really believe in interoperability and openness. It's unclear. This is what me and Nate were talking about last night. It's unclear exactly what that means to them. And I think their, yeah. the choice of their name actually really exemplifies that where like naming themselves meta is kind of a way to like make metaverse synonymous with Facebook, which is like totally different than the Ethereum way of thinking about things as we talked about, right? Where it's like, you kind of explicitly don't want to be a big deal. You don't want to be the whole point. Yeah. So yeah, so like, I, I think really just to, to wrap it up, it's really just like, you need to start building these decentralized systems and build network effects across them and, and get enough people on them fast enough so that like everyone else, it will make sense for them to, to join onto that decentralized network. It's so interesting, this whole Facebook meta thing. Yeah. And yeah. that like, also I, yeah, I mean, I was talking with some people earlier today about how on the one hand I have kind of deep respect for them for just putting a flag in the ground, like showing this much conviction and vision for a company of that size. Yeah. And it's, it's really badass you've, in a certain way. You've never seen like a trillion dollar company pivot like this. It's actually right. pretty insane to see. Yeah. And it's, it has this focus in it. And I mean, I'm sure it's been a rallying cry for people who are working at Facebook and or Meta or and, and whatever. But on the other hand, I mean, it's also like quite worrying that they're going down this path. And part of me wants to like believe that they're going to build a good version of this world. But then part of me also thinks that like actions speak louder than words. And you can mm -hmm. kind of look at historically like what they've done and the business models that are like defining their company. Totally. And yeah, I mean, what do they mean by we want mm -hmm. this thing to be open and interoperable? Yeah, I've, I've been trying to understand that myself. I've been reading all the interviews. I think really the only thing we can do is just build and build faster. And like to, to go back to the mobile example, there's some amount of win there where like all the phones felt forced to put a browser on their phone, right? So there was a connection to the open internet and so hopefully we can at least get that. Hopefully we can get something further where it's like, it becomes clear to everyone else that they're better off coming onto this platform. Yeah, I mean, the ideal outcome is like, there exists a platform that's sort of like expressive and interconnected enough that like Facebook rationally wants to like be part of that metaverse and like they add to it, right? Like by Facebook joining that metaverse, like whatever Facebook builds gets better and that metaverse itself gets better. Um, and so like, I don't know, the challenge of the next couple of years is like to make everyone, you know, to find a system where like everyone gains more from contributing to it than from doing their own thing. Like, you know, regardless of Facebook, that's like a correct property of any ecosystem. Like this, whatever metaverse right. ecosystem we come up with should accelerate people, not like force them to you know, use this system because you're not allowed to put other app stores on your device or something. Right. 
has this whole thing kind of impacted your thinking about your strategy or how you're approaching things? Um, it's in progress. <laughs> like, I, 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 as we mentioned, this it happened yesterday. Me and Tit Nit talked about it last night. I mean, our values definitely remain the same. Now the question is like, do we try to make the underlying like decentralized yeah. network even faster? And we're still trying to figure out like, what could we actually do to help contribute to that? It makes me think of, uh, I think it was this article that Balaji wrote about India and Bitcoin and where he was making the case that, you know, there are two kind of poles of power in the world being like the, the US and China, and they're each kind of trying to gain adoption mm. of their currency as the world currency, right? Like there's USD and there's a Chinese one and, and mm. India kind of has this, he was making the case that India could strategically like adopt Bitcoin and Bitcoin could become the third alternative that is not owned by either of these two countries. It's like the third independent, like decentralized currency for the world or the store of value for the world. And I feel like there could be something yeah. to that tune here around the metaverse, quote unquote, where there's like the Facebook metaverse, mm. and this acts as a catalyst for everyone else to build the decentralized metaverse as an alternative. Oh, that's actually kind of interesting. It's like, as long as there's like three plus players in the space that are all equally sized, like a decentralized network right. makes sense because it allows two of them to collaborate. Right. And now like that is bigger and now everyone's like incentivized to be a part of it. Well, we'll see if that ends up happening. Facebook is still buying up all the VR studios. So. <laughs> yeah. But on the other hand, like Apple and Microsoft and Snapchat, they are, they're all talking about the metaverse now too. Or not talking about it. They're talking, they're like basically talking about it um, as are like many other larger companies. So, and medium-sized companies. Yeah. And gather. So yeah. how, <laughs> how do you feel about the word metaverse? Cause this was another thing that people were talking oh, about yeah. on Twitter yesterday. I know. I mean, if so, actually that's another way it shows up too, is like if everyone now wants to use a different term, cause Facebook is now called meta. Like that's just another example of how like everyone else jumps over to this new term. And then, and then that's like the equivalent to now, now Facebook needs to also kind of do it too. Actually, another thing we we're throwing around last night and curious your thoughts on it was like the Ethereum community is also very large. Like what percentage of those people would channel energy into the metaverse if you're given the right starting tools and abstractions and ideas of like what is missing, you know, like maybe it's not clear to people what they could do to push forward the future of the metaverse. Oh, I think, I think it's a huge focus for people. Like there are, there yeah. are. There were like mad tweet storms flying around <laughs> last night. Twitter good was popping off. Energy. Yeah, yeah. Good, good energy. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I actually discovered a couple of Twitter accounts that I hadn't been following who had really thoughtful takes like to, to the tune of like things I was saying of like, there is this path dependency, like, you know, now there is a timeline and we need to move on this and yeah, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the building blocks are there, right? Like the identity piece is there, the decentralized network is there, the decentralized storage is there, like ZKPs are there. Um, at some level of of zooming in, you could call all of like crypto like the metaverse, right? Like I guess mm -hmm. you could call it a virtual a virtual like 
world that you can walk around in. But if you kind of open the definition up to interactions with each other, right? Like DAOs, NFTs, like all of this stuff is a part of the metaverse. So I do wonder how all of this is going to evolve. I, mm. I feel like it's probably going to be more and more of a focal point of uh, for the larger community to, to kind mm. of collaborate and, and build, build with each other. And mm. I mean, I think like given your alignment with this philosophy and how you're thinking about gather and like i i think there's so many like gathers like perfect for this world right like the, the other day i wrote and we kind of had a quick back and forth around how how cool gather spaces could be for DAOs. like very soon like i guess as soon as you yeah. have the api that someone can plug into and just check that someone holds a particular token you could literally have a space similar to a token gate at Discord, you could have a gather space that DAO members can come into at all hours of the day. And all of a sudden you get, you give this community that to this point has been kind of disembodied. It's just been usernames in the chat group. Mm. Now they can actually like hang out with each other. And mm-hmm. I feel like that alone would be a huge, a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're very excited to just like, uh, work with the broader community on, on what this might look like on how we can all push for this feature more and yeah like well how do we get to the right metaverse basically totally um on a on a lighter note i saw that you had a you had a pudgy penguin in uh. your office <laughs> yes this is, this is this is part of our way of kind of trying to like culturally uh, making it more uh, prominent, like thinking more about the Web3 stuff because it's just going to be so important. And so, you know, we bought a pudgy penguin, we put it in our office. What we might do for some of like our holiday uh, gift, and I, I hope this comes out after we give it to people so that no one's <laughs> watch it, watching and like learning the secret. We might like try to give NFTs that people can like put on their desks or something like that. We haven't decided exactly what. Cool. Um, but yeah, like I think people have, asking, have been asking this for a long time is like, can we put our NFTs in our space? Someone actually prototyped that uh, internally. And then we're like, well, actually the bright version is like, allow someone to have built that and not like, totally. you know, build it in ourself. And so totally. that's what, you know, Nate's working on now. I wonder once when you guys are, you know, ready with your APIs and whatnot, like uh, just coming into some like crypto hackathons, like ETH global events and whatnot, I feel yeah. like that could be a really cool way to get the community jamming on this stuff. Oh, totally. We'll definitely try to figure out how to do all that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have the hackathon itself in Gather and the people can hack in the Gather space. They're already hacking, you know, like everyone's sitting in that space and all of a sudden like a monster pops out because someone programmed that or like all of a sudden like an impromptu Among Us game and everyone's like all of a sudden (laughs) a character in this game. Anyway, we have a lot. We have a lot of fun with it. There's so many ideas. We're really excited to just like interface more with the the web three community and i think it's gonna be so important for building the right metaverse here and so check out gather drop us a line if you have any interesting ideas or collaborations or anything of the sort what's the best way for people to start riffing on this stuff i can we can put a we can put a link to the websocket api docs in the description yeah or like a link to the community discord or forum or something like that 
yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like joining the community and like maybe there's a web free corner of it where people can start riffing on these ideas. I'll definitely participate in that. Well, thanks for having us. It was a lot of fun.